0: Howdy-bowdy, everybody. This is David Sanchez, and this is episode 30 of the Riffs or Die podcast for March 10th, 2021. Happy Conformicide Day, everyone. Havoc's fourth record, Conformicide, came out on this day, March 10th, in 2017. The album is now four years old. It's able to walk now, and it's starting to talk, and figure out how to talk back. That record actually does have kind of a bad attitude. In this episode, I will be getting into the weeds on that record and talking about the creation of it and the recording and all that kind of stuff. So if that sounds good to you, stick around, why don't you? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Light. Light has been allowing most bipedal creatures on this planet to see for millennia. For a brighter tomorrow, let there be light. As always, if you want to write into the podcast, write to me at podcast at riffsordie.com. Shoot me an email. Send me some wisdom. Send me some funny or crazy concert stories. Write in any questions, comments, if you want advice hit me up, podcast at riffsordie.com. And if you would like to subscribe for bonus content, including bonus episodes that you can't get elsewhere, go on to patreon.com slash riffsordie and subscribe. And if you don't want to do that, you can always go on to riffsordie.com and pick up some merch. All of the above help out a lot, and I really appreciate you listening to this. So thanks a lot for your ears. Just you see that Texas is back open? The governor of Texas said that the state was going to open back up. Also, the state of Mississippi. So that is a step in the right direction toward freedom. What a concept. Someone should start a country based on the idea of freedom and liberty for all. Huh. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I do think it's a great step in the right direction. However, I think it's also pretty scary that the government can just take away your rights at a whim whenever they feel like, and it sets a pretty grotesque precedent to me that uh, the governor of a state like that can just act like he's the king of the state. I'll just take away your rights, and then I'll give them back whenever I feel like it. scary and interesting times we live in, eh? A bigger thing in the right direction would be to amend the constitution of states to make it to where a governor cannot do that without approval of a bunch of other people. You know, like democracy. We're always sold the idea that we live in a democracy, but we really don't. We live in a democratic republic. People vote to allegedly vote in ...people to rule over us. There's upsides and downsides to that coin. I'll let you guys figure out and be the judge of what's what on that one. But things opening back up is good. I still feel terrible for all the people that had their businesses... ...and their life savings and their dreams and hopes destroyed by their government. So it's really silly for this governor to act like he's the man and give himself a pat on the back, you know, act like he's such a good guy. Well, because of you shutting stuff down, there's millions of people that lost their livelihood. So instead of you acting like you're a badass, I would say you're a fucking asshole, sir. You let the businesses get destroyed in the first place, and then you act like you're Mr. Good Guy when you let everything open back up. I would still say, a oh, fucker you. But, again, it's a step in the right direction to open things up, but let's be honest, probably should have never been shut down in the first place. Can you imagine? I bet there's somebody here listening right now that like, had to close their doors permanently on their business. It's happened to plenty of people. Could you imagine saving up Your entire life to open up your dream business. You get it off the ground and then COVID hits and the government tells you that you're not allowed to uh, follow through on your dream. You're not allowed to open your doors. It's uh, to say that it's fucked up is a major understatement. Let's see what happens here. But, um, you know, we outnumber the people running the show. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe, to one. the people put their foot down and have enough, things could change really quickly. But we would all have to be on the same page for it to work. And unfortunately, divide and conquer tactics still work in this country. And we have people squabbling with their neighbors instead of finding common goals and going after our real enemies. They have us looking at each other as enemies. Sad that it works, but uh, it does. It's very unfortunate, and hopefully we can wise up. But I'm not going to hold my breath for that to happen. The news has uh, millions of people in this country brainwashed. Critical thinking is non-existent in a large way. And um, if we really want to see that kind of a change, people need to put their critical thinking cap on and not just eat and gobble up whatever is spoon-fed to them by the TV or the radio. So, we will see what happens next. But uh, I'm glad that things are opening back up. I think it's, in some ways, too little too late, but... a step toward freedom is a step in the right direction, if you ask me. So... There's that. Maybe there'll start being some Texas World Tours happening soon. We'll see what happens. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. And hopefully other states start falling like dominoes and doing the same thing, opening shit back up. Did you guys notice how practically nobody's died from the flu this year? Myself and friends of mine, we kind of all called that a year ago. You know, when everything got shut down, winter was coming up, we were like, watch, nobody's going to die from flu this year. Lo and behold, here we are. I haven't heard of anyone dying of the flu or catching the flu. Funny that. And our record, Conformicide, that came out four years ago, has a lot of lyrics that on paper kind of look clairvoyant or prophetic because a lot of the stuff that I was... Screaming my head off about on that record has come true. The songs about political correctness, about uh, corruption in government, about the news having control over your mind. All of this stuff has become extremely apparent in the last year. So I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not, uh, I can't see into the future or anything like that. I just. Pay attention. The writing was all over all the walls. And uh, Conformicide is an album that almost never happened. I say that because I broke my wrist in, I think, 2014. I broke my wrist, and uh, it was not looking good. Um, I couldn't play guitar properly for about nine months. I had to get surgery... Um, in the first place, the doctor set my arm wrong and then put it in a cast. So it healed up, the bones solidified, everything healed up, and then they pulled the cast out, took an x-ray, and the guy was like, ooh, yeah, you're going to need surgery. And I was like, you motherfucker, I could have told you that. I'm not even a doctor. I told you I needed surgery. So that wasted four months, and then later on they had to go in there, slice it open, break all the bones apart again and uh, put them back together the correct way and then close me back up. I've got some titanium in my wrist. So if times ever get super tough, maybe I can just chop off my left arm and sell the titanium plate and the screws in there. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but the option is on the table. So... When I was healing from that surgery, there was a lot of uh, question as to whether or not I'd be able to play guitar properly again. It took a long time and a lot of work to get the muscles working again, but I eventually was able to play again. And The doctors, the physical therapists even said, you're never going to be able to do a push-up again, and they were wrong. I kicked major ass on the physical therapy side of things, and I'm able to do push-ups, and I'm able to do a lot of things. I would say I've got about 99% of my flexion back, but it's not all there. It's definitely, uh it gets tight in a weird way. Unfortunately, my wrist broke backwards instead of forward, and when you're playing guitar, you need it to be forward, so I'm a bit limited on my flexion going forward, and uh, that's just the way it is now, forever, so... Word to the wise, I know your parents always tell you this when you're a kid and stuff, but safety first is not a joke. It's way easier to break your bones than you would like to think. I broke my wrist hiking, and I took a fall from, I don't know, five feet in the air. Halfway down, I was thinking, oh, this is going to hurt a little bit. Hit the ground, heard a weird snap. Stood up, brushed myself off, looked down, and my arm was like in the shape of a Z in a place where it's not supposed to look like that. (laughs) So, safety first is not just a useless trope. It's uh, real shit. Your bones are very resilient, but if you hit them just the right way, they'll break pretty fucking easy. So be careful out there. But a lot of the lyrics on Conformicide were very angry, Even listening back, they are very angry. And I think a lot of that anger and frustration was stemming from the fact that I could not play guitar. A lot of the lyrics that were written for conformicide were written when I was healing and I couldn't play guitar and I was extremely bummed out and frustrated that I couldn't play and do this thing that I love to do and use to express myself in in a musical way. So a lot of the lyrics are extremely angry, and that anger definitely shined through in the vocal performances throughout the album. I'm definitely a little less melodic on Conformicide than on the previous records, and that was because I was pissed off, and those lyrics didn't call for much melody. They called for being screamed and shouted. And the way that I spilled out my brain into lyric form on that record is essentially the same way I feel today. There's uh, nothing really that I regret writing on that record. It was the first album where all of the lyrics on it um, really felt like I had made a statement that I was very proud of, and if something were to happen to me after it came out, I was cool, just cleaning my hands and thinking like, all right, I did my job. Like, this is a good thing to leave behind. If this is what I'm known for, I'm happy with that. I said all of the things I wanted to say in songs, basically on conformicide. And that's not to say that I had nothing else to say, but a lot of the big points to get thoughts out of my head and into other people's ears was largely accomplished on conformicide. The artwork for it was done by Halsey Swain. She used to go by Halsey Cost. And she also did the artwork for Burn, Time Is Up, Point Of No Return, and a ton of our merch. Like Our artwork on t-shirts and stuff was all done by her. She's done a lot of art for Toxic Holocaust, Vindicator, and a handful of other bands that I can't think of off the top of my head. But she used to do a lot of art for bands. And luckily, um, she still is down to work with us. So she's actually working on something right now that is being cooked up for later this month. And you guys will all get to see it very soon. It's really, really cool. I can't wait for you guys to see it. But conform aside, we were writing the songs for that without a bass player. We didn't have a bass player at the moment when we were writing these songs and fleshing them out in their early stages. It was just me, Reese, and Pete jamming in my basement, getting these songs put together, arranging them, and figuring out what we were going to do with them. Nick Shangelis joined the fold toward the end of the writing sessions for Conformicide. And Conformicide's got a lot of bass-heavy sections, and the bass gets to shine often on the record. Um, no different than on V, and there's moments I, I think there's moments on every Havoc record where the bass gets to, be at the forefront and kind of, be the dominating driving force or uh, you know memorable part or complex part over the guitars. I think there's parts on every Havoc record that have that where the bass is at the forefront. Which, in my opinion, sets Havoc apart from a lot of our peers is uh, the bass lines play bass lines. Often they're not playing the same thing as the guitars, which I love. I listen to a lot of funk, and funk is very bass-driven. I love slap bass. It's one of the coolest sounds a bass can make, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, it's just fun to, to have the bass doing its own thing instead of just mirroring the guitars. I think on Conformicide, everybody stepped up their game as far as uh, their performance and as far as what we were doing creatively and, uh, you know, this kind of stuff we were writing. I think that it's probably the most technical record that we made at the time. There's some stuff on Conformicide that is a bit abstract and definitely outside of the norm of what you would find under the thrash metal umbrella. I think we started to wear some of our non-metal influences on our sleeve, maybe a little bit more pronounced on this record. They've always been there, but on Conforma side, I feel like they maybe showed their face a little bit more. The record was produced and engineered and mixed by Steve Evitz. We recorded it out there in Garden Grove, California, And Steve has a ton of really great analog gear that we got to record through. A lot of people will probably wonder what was up with the guitar tones on that record, um, as far as like gear that was used and shit. I'll tell you that we ran two different heads into two different cabinets, and both of them were mic'd up, and they were blended together in an analog console. Now, the amps that were used, um, well, we'll start with guitar. Guitar was, on my side, it was a Framus Custom Shop V guitar with EMG-81X in the bridge position. On Reese's side, it was his Charvel Star with the Perpetual Burn Jason Becker pickup. And I recorded the rhythms on almost everything Reese. Recorded some rhythms on some of his riffs that he wrote because he could just play them better than me. So that's typically how we do it, is to have one player record both sides of the rhythm just so that it's uh, tighter and more consistent sounding. And that's the same with Metallica, same with Slayer. Tons of bands do that, where one player kind of plays all the rhythms. Same with Conformicide. And the guitar... On my side again was the uh, Framus and I was running it in through my rig into a Peterson tuner going into my Electro-Harmonix Soul Food Overdrive that was running into a noise gate and it was then split into two different amps. So one performance was split signal into two different amplifiers. One of them was a PV x 2 And the other one was a PV 6534 Plus. Now, I believe the XXX2 was ran into a PV cabinet loaded with vintage 30s. And the 6534 Plus was run into a Marshall cabinet. And I'm not sure which kinds of speakers were in that cabinet. But uh, all the channels, I think it was four or six different channels, you know, having the cabs mic'd up. Uh, all running into one of Steve's analog consoles and had it all summed down into one mono channel. So what you're hearing on that record is one performance on each side for guitars. We did some layering, but typically for the most part on that record, it's just one on the left, one on the right. And what you're hearing is one performance, let's say on the left side, and it's run through two different amps, two different cabinets, and it's like six different sources all summed down to one mono signal. So that's what we did on guitars. I believe Pete was using his Pearl Reference Series drum kit. And the drum room that we tracked it in is really cool. It's a really big open room. And some of the reverb that you hear on the drums is actually microphones in the hallway. What happened was We had the drum room, and then the door was propped open to let some of the sound go down the hall, and there were microphones in the hall to capture some natural hall reverb. So that's a nifty little tidbit there. The reverb is not all fake. A lot of that reverb that you hear on the record is real. It's from microphones that were placed uh, 60 feet away from the drum set down a hallway. And on bass, I know that Nick was using Warwick, and I think he was using a dark glass pedal for some dirt. I can't remember what the name of that dark glass pedal was, but that was it. And uh, back to guitars, on Reese's side, not only was I using his Charvel Star with those Seymour Duncan Perpetual Burn pickups, but it was also running through a different overdrive pedal. It was running through... A, I think it was an MXR Super Custom Badass Overdrive. It's got some ridiculous long name, but it's the brown kind of gold-colored one that MXR makes, and that overdrive pedal sounds amazing. Really great pedal. So tonally, that kind of gets you all up to speed on uh, the gear used. For Conformicide, and I guess I should say for Peach Cymbals, it was Sabians, the pretty heavy ones. I can't remember which series. And the drum heads were Aquarian with his trick drum pedals. And on the guitar solos throughout the record, whether it's Reese or myself, we were both using pedals. We had pedal boards, we didn't use um, effects in like Pro Tools or anything. We captured the effects, like the delays and the reverbs and chorus and flanger and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff that you hear in the guitar tones on Conformicide was in the actual signal when we were recording it. It was not stuff that was added after the fact. So in that regard, we did it fairly old school. You know, the delays, if they were slightly out of time with the music, it was just, that's the way it's going to be, because that's how it was captured. We didn't do any uh, tempo mapping with delays after the fact or anything like that. So in that regard, it is fairly old school and kind of an analog style or method of tracking. And then as far as the vocal recording is concerned, I honestly can't remember what kind of vocal mic we use to track my vocals. I am going to have to ask Steve Evitz, the producer and mixer of the record, what that was. I know I've got a picture of it somewhere, but I don't recognize the mic. It it could be anything. You know, there's so many microphones out there. But I'll have to send a picture to Steve Evitz and try to figure out what that mic was that we used to track the vocals. I like the sound of the vocals on that record a lot. And I don't mean my performance or, you know, the way I sang stuff or whatever. I mean literally like the sound of the vocals. The vocal microphone, the production quality is very, very cool. It's super warm and kind of crispy and overdriven. I believe he was running it into a Neve preamp, and I believe he was crushing it with some compression from a Universal Audio compressor, likely an 1176. But Steve did a really great job with the uh, mix on the drums and the vocals especially on that record. I really love the sound of the drums on it. It sounds very cool, and uh, the, vocals, the vocals have a really cool tone to them as well. So he knocked it out of the park on that. When we were tracking the record, we were actually staying in our shuttle bus that we drove out there to do the recording. We were parked at an RV lot every night. We would uh, wake up, drive to the studio in the RV shuttle bus kind of thing, Park it there at the studio, do all of our stuff for the day, and then we would drive to the RV park, like campground kind of area, and uh, just park it on a slab of concrete and hang out there and go to sleep, and that's how we did it. We ate a whole lot of pho out there. There was this really good pho restaurant really close to the studio, and we kind of dubbed it that place kick ass so when it, we were getting hungry and it was time for lunch or dinner or whatever Steve would look at us and be like kick ass and <laughs> we like pho so the answer was usually yes let's go get some kick ass so conformicide was largely fueled by kick ass fueled by pho conformicide has uh, some of my favorite guitar solos in it from any Havoc music. Some of Reese's solos on Conformicide are insane and really catchy and beautiful. I really love Reese's guitar solo in the song Wake Up. That is definitely one of my favorite Reese Scruggs solos of all time. It might be my favorite. It's super uh, catchy and just interesting and peculiar. There's some licks in it that are just very unusual that you don't normally hear in a guitar solo, especially in a thrash metal band. And as far as my solos, I've only got a couple on this record. I have a solo in the song Dogmaniacal. I've got a little tiny, uh, very (laughs) abstract and irregular solo break. Um, Not necessarily a solo, but kind of a loop of a very weird, obscure kind of Uh, Guitar part, utilizing a lot of whammy bar action in the song Intention to Deceive. And then I have a solo in the song Ingsock. And my solos in Dogmaniacal and Ingsock are two of my favorite solos that I've ever recorded. I made it a point to, uh, when the solo started for me, I made it a point to not start the solo's note on the same note as the key. I made it a harmony to whatever key the solo was in. Which is a good trick that I heard from George Benson. George Benson is an incredible jazz guitar player, one of the best ever. And I really love his music, and man, he's a fucking monster shredder. It's like under-the-radar shredding. You know, people hear jazz often, and they're not perking up their ears like, holy shit, this guy's ripping, but a lot of it is really ripping. It just kind of flies under the radar because there's no distortion. There's nothing heavy, like uh, abrasive going on. But George Benson is a master, really masterful guitar player and vocalist and arranger who I respect and love a lot. And one thing that he talked about that I will never forget, he was talking about when you're starting a solo, instead of if the solo is happening over the key of E, Instead of starting the solo with the note E, maybe start the solo with the note G or with B. You know, just something that's not the actual key of the solo. It will make for a more interesting introduction into the solo. So that's something that I took to heart and utilized actually in those two songs on my solos in Dogmaniacal and in Ingsoc neither of those solos uh, starts with a note of the key that I'm soloing over. So a little tip there, if you're ever stuck with how to start a solo in a song, or even if it's just a second guitar phrase, or maybe it's uh, something in a riff, you got a bass line that's in A, maybe try making your riff start on uh, E, maybe on C, can do some harmonization instead of uh, synchronizing yourself with the um, root note. Obviously, the song Ingsock is directly inspired by the book 1984. George Orwell was basically a prophet. Um, a lot of the stuff that he wrote about in that book has come to fruition or is right around the corner. Our world seems to get more and more Orwellian as the weeks go by. And uh, that song has some really interesting guitar stuff going on in it. But the lyrics are largely influenced, if not direct nods to the book. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. That is the motto of the party, the totalitarian government party in the book 1984. And Ingsoc is what they call their society. Ingsoc is short for English Socialism. If you haven't read that book, I strongly recommend checking it out. It's not very long. It's a pretty easy read, and uh, it gets really interesting really fast. (laughs) Let's just say that. But it's one of those books that um, a lot of people talk about and it relates a lot to what's going on in the world today, so there's some really good, stark warnings and information in there that might be indicators to where we're headed in this world, and gives you know some insight that people saw this coming decades ago. the kind of stuff that we're seeing today, government overreach and surveillance, the lockdown measures, and the double think it's all in nineteen eighty four So I've seen great t-shirts and stickers and stuff that say, Make Orwell Fiction Again. Love that. Please make Orwell Fiction Again. One of the things in the book that's become so prophetic is the fact that there's TVs that have cameras and are able to watch you. That's no different than what we have today for cell phones and computers, and I've heard even some televisions. Or like Nintendo Wii, you know? We have a lot of these devices that are looking at us. They have the ability to monitor us. A little creepy, some may say. That kind of technology is A, cool, because you can communicate with the world via a camera on your phone or whatever. But B, very creepy. Cool and creepy. Just like so much of technology that we have today. Very cool. Very, very creepy. All in all, I think I've uh, rambled about conformicide enough for right now. Perhaps I can talk about it with you guys some other time on Zoom. If you want to hang out in the Zoom chats, you got to sign up at patreon.com slash die at the $10 level, and we can hang out in real time. You guys can ask me anything, hang out, shoot the shit. Sometimes I play guitar on there. Sometimes I show you guys bands that I like. I'll answer your questions, hang out, and uh, it's fun. I really enjoy doing those and getting to know the people that support this podcast, and uh, there's people from all over the world in there, so... If that sounds like something you're into, go to patreon.com slash die and sign up and let's hang out. Speaking of hanging out, um, I know that that's something you can kind of do on Twitch. And Twitch is something that Pete Weber's been doing, and it's going well for him, and uh, people seem to enjoy when he streams and gets on there and interacts with people. It's something that I've considered doing, but I'm not on board yet maybe I just need some convincing if any of you guys participate on Twitch you should let me know should I start a Twitch channel should I hang out with you guys on there and play a little guitar and answer questions and shoot the shit or do you think that would be totally whack let me know what you think write me an email podcast at riffsordie.com let me know what you think later on this month, is going to be the 10-year, 10-year anniversary of our second record, Time Is Up. If you guys have any questions about Time Is Up, about the making of the record, writing of it, any questions you have about Time Is Up, please feel free to write them in to podcast at riffsordie.com, and I'd be happy to answer some of your questions on an upcoming episode. The 10-year anniversary is coming up later this month. So if you have any questions about it that you've always wanted to know the answer to, hit me up. Ask away. I'll be discussing that record on a podcast episode later this month. So bring it on. I'd be happy to answer your questions about it. Crazy that thing came out 10 years ago. Time accelerates. It doesn't just fly. It flies faster and faster constantly. Got some real cool stuff planned for the 10-year anniversary. Time is up, and that is some shit that you guys will be able to see in a couple weeks here. We'll have some uh, some interesting things online to show you guys, and I think you guys are really going to dig what we've got coming up around the corner for that the other day I went bowling, my fucking arm is still sore. It happens every time I go bowling. Just one arm though. That's how she goes when you bowl, I guess, unless you bowl like a grandma. With the old two hands, tucking it back behind your legs, behind your butt, throwing it forward. And on the way to and from bowling, we were listening to Body Count, the first Body Count record, self titled. And, man, I fucking love that record. I first discovered it when I was, like, 13 years old, and I thought it was one of the funniest, greatest things ever. And I just listened to it again this week, and I fucking still love that album. (laughs) It's awesome. It's really funny, and it's just really cool. Some of the songs, I'm sure a lot of you guys have already heard it, but some of the songs remind me of metal stuff, and some of the songs remind me of punk stuff. Some of the songs, especially like Bowels of the Devil, that song really reminds me of the Misfits, really old Misfits with Danzig. But that's a classic gem from the early 90s, and that will be my musical recommendation for the week. If you haven't listened to it before, or if you haven't listened to it in a long time, go listen to Body Count, their first record, called Body Count. Funny, classic album. Gets me every time. I've heard it so many times and it still cracks me up. I love the fact that Ice-T is into metal and the rock world. He's not just a rapper. And when that record came out, there was, of course, the huge controversy with the song Cop Killer. And they had to repress the record without Cop Killer on it. So first pressings of that album with Cop Killer on it are Fairly rare, and they go for, I think, like 60 bucks. Last time I checked on eBay. One of these days, I have to get it because I really love that. And I actually have an original print of that album cover on a T-shirt. My Body Count T-shirt is one of my favorite shirts that I own, and I've worn it on stage plenty of times. There's a lot of photos out there of me wearing it. I've been repping it for many, many years. Love body count. And at some point, I would love to work with Ice-T on something. Something musical. I think that would be so fucking cool to do something with Ice-T. Maybe that can happen one of these days. Never know. We're label mates. Body count's on Century Media. Havoc's on Century Media. So it's not unthinkable for sure. I got to see Body Count one time. They played an after party at NAM in Anaheim, and that was the only time I've ever seen them. And I just had a fucking ball. It was so fun being out there and seeing Body Count perform all those classic songs that I've loved since I was a teenager. It was amazing. And actually, (laughs) a long time ago, we played a show in Des Moines, Iowa at this venue I'm not sure if it's still there. I don't think it is. It's called Vaudeville Muse. And we played a show with MOD. And MOD has a singer of SOD, Billy Milano. And we were playing with MOD. And while MOD was on stage, they started playing a body count song. They started playing There Goes the Neighborhood. And not a lot of people in the venue knew what was going on. But My ears perked up immediately, and I got so stoked. It was like, holy shit, they're playing Body Count. And I had a ball. It was uh, really interesting to see Billy Milano, a big, gigantic white dude, (laughs) yelling these lyrics to the song, There Goes the Neighborhood, because... Let's just say that song is very not PC, and I'm not sure how well that would go over in today's uh, hyper-PC, hypersensitive climate. <laughs> but that's a good memory that I have of, uh, of a body count happening. That was years and years and years ago, probably back in like 2009, something like that. Back when I was just a wee lad... I often soundcheck with that riff. The opening riff and the bridge riff from the song There Goes the Neighborhood from Body Count. I uh, will often sound check with riffs from that song and from the song Bowels of the Devil. Classics. Great riffs. Ernie C. Good job. You got some classic riffs on the books, man. Great, great band. And actually, a really long time ago, I was at Nam, and uh, I was wearing a Havoc shirt walking around there, and the bass player Body Count actually stopped me, and he was like, oh, shit, nice shirt. And I was like, what? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I play in this band. He was like, oh, fuck, really? You play in Havoc? I told him, yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, shit, I play in Body Count. I was like, oh, man, I fucking love Body Count. That's awesome. And uh, he was like, "Oh, check this out!" And he like busted out of his backpack uh, a DVD. It was a Body Count DVD, the Murder for Hire DVD. And uh, he gave it to me. He was all stoked that I was in Havoc, and he gave me a, a Body Count DVD, and that made me really stoked. <laughs> I love Body Count. Been a fan since I was a, a kid, and uh, to have their bass player comment on how he likes Havoc, and then give me some Body Count. Merch was insanely cool. and uh, Thanks a lot, Vincent. That was very, very generous of you, and that made my day. Made my entire trip, honestly. Well, let's get into a couple of emails before we wrap this thing up. Like I said before, if you guys do want to shoot me an email, just do it podcast at riffsordie.com. Alright, this email is titled, Another Question, Words of Advice, and Music Suggestion. Alright, that's a lot of stuff. Let's get to it. This email says, Love the interviews with Pete and Reese. Thanks. My question is, How do you guys write songs and rehearse when you don't live in the same state? Words of advice from the late, great Rush Limbaugh. Quote, The learning in life never stops. I agree. Every day is a school day. And the email continues and says, music suggestion, Diecast. I remember that band. It says, Diecast, check out their album Day of Reckoning. Good New England style metalcore slash hardcore. After that album, they got a new singer and went more in a thrash direction. Yeah, I remember that band, Diecast. I had uh, like a little sampler of theirs that I picked up at like an Ozfest or something. I remember it was good. I think they might have been on Century Media or Nuclear Blast back in the day. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah. Diecast, Day of Reckoning. I'll have to chunk that out. And how do we write songs and rehearse when we don't live in the same state? Well, um, V was largely written uh, remotely. You know, Only me and Pete were living in Colorado. Reese being in Virginia. And Brandon in Nashville. And the way we wrote is through the magic of the internet. We were able to upload a recording session into a cloud on the internet, and I would record some stuff, program some drums or whatever, and I'd be able to upload it and send it over to Reese, and he would start adding guitar parts to it as well. And we just basically traded files and updated each other's recording sessions via the internet. So that's... Uh, that's how a lot of V came together, and it might be how a lot of our next recordings get written. It's, uh, it's challenging to be in different states and try to you know, write, and, and obviously playing together in real time is virtually impossible. But the fact that I can create a recording session, add my own stuff to it, and then upload it to the cloud so that Reese can download it and listen to it and add his own recordings. And then he can upload it to the cloud. And then we both are on the same page. We both have an updated session with both of our contributions in it is really cool. It's uh, a crucial piece of technology that we utilize to make V and I imagine going forward, we'll do something similar to that. But there were times where Reese and Brandon both at one point or another came out to Colorado to work more as a group with Pete and myself. so it gets expensive if you're going to do that a lot, but you know we had them fly out to Colorado and and work in person, and that re- went really well. but without the uh, ability to send files and sessions back and forth via the internet, it would have been way more difficult and way more expensive, time consuming. It just was a total godsend that we can upload sessions onto the internet and update them remotely. It's really cool, and uh, that's how we do it. And as far as when we're going to rehearse to go on tour, basically everyone does their homework. We all decide, okay, these are the songs we're going to play on tour. Everyone brush up on it on your own. Everyone get yourself up to speed On it, So that when we all do get together in the same room to go on tour, we can have like, you know, three or four rehearsals and be good to go. That way we're not sitting there in the rehearsal room trying to knock the cobwebs off and try to, uh, you know, relearn the songs. Everybody's already done the homework and relearn the songs on their own time. And then we get together and get the tightness, kind of tighten the screws on, on, uh, playing with other people. So that's how we do it when we're going on tour. It's a good question. Thanks for writing that in. Learning in life never stops. Could not agree more. I have a friend that would always say, every day is a school day. That is totally true. Keep learning. Let's dive into one more here. This one says, testing new speakers slash concert story. All right. Yeah, I asked you guys what you like to test your speakers with. A lot of audio engineers have the same handful of songs that they'll go into a music venue and test the room with to see what it sounds like. You know, basically something you're so familiar with the sound of that if a sound system sounds terrible, you're going to be able to tell instantly when you start listening to this song. So that's what I was asking you guys for, and someone wrote in here. It says... What's up, Dave? Been a fan of Havoc since Time Is Up release. Really enjoying the podcast and the new album as well. Thank you. When I'm testing a new speaker or system, my go-to is usually The Art of Dying by Gojira. Great mix. Logan Mater did that. Awesome job. No particular reason other than I just love that band slash song. Mario Duplantier is such an impressive drummer too. Yes, he is. That guy's a beast and a half. And he's a sick guitar player and death metal vocalist. (laughs) I saw Gojira in uh, Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, probably like 10 years ago. And there was one song where the brothers switched positions and uh, Joe, the guitar player, singer, went back to the drum set and played drums. And his brother Mario came up and played guitar and did vocals. And the whole band played like a short two, three minute, death metal song it was really cool Uh, he's a killer artist as well the drummer Mario anyway back to the email it says back in like 2018 was at one of your gigs in Corning New York just smoked a bowl in my car in the parking lot walked back and smoked a cig in front of the venue shortly after you came out but I was stoned and shy and never said what's up during your set that night I kept getting shoved by a fat drunk dude who spilled beer all over one of Nick's monitors. And at one point, you noticed him and just kind of looked at Nick and shook your head, thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Drunk people at shows are often hilarious. Uh, The end of this email says, also saw a guy in a wheelchair crowd surfing at a Lamb of God show. That was fucking sweet. I'll attach a short video. (laughs) Yes, I've seen uh, people in wheelchairs crowd surf a number of times. The last time was actually on a boat. Um, on the 70,000 tons of metal cruise. Aborted was playing at like 3 in the morning, and there was a dude in a wheelchair that was lifted up by people, and he was crowd surfing. It was amazing. Aborted is insanely sick live, too. Great, great death metal band, and uh, I was blown away with how tight and heavy they were. Fuck, man. Crazy drumming. Crazy guitar solos in that band. And the end of this email says, P.S., how fucking eager are you for shows to resume again? The energy is going to be unreal. I think you're right about that. When shows do come back and we're allowed to act like human beings, not socially distanced and in masks, getting sweaty and running around and uh, having some good old-fashioned friendly violent fun, as Exodus would say, those, those shows are going to be wild when, when they do start coming back in that capacity. Absolutely. I really hope that happens sooner than later. Obviously, it's my livelihood, but it's also what I like to do in my free time. Going to concerts is one of my all-time favorite things to do. So I'm really looking forward to when shows do come back. It's going to be bananas when they do return. And how eager am I for shows to resume again? Um, An indescribable amount, I guess. (laughs) It's going to be a real hoot. It's going to be a real treat to see live music again that's not socially distanced or masked. If that day comes, and fingers crossed that it does, sooner than later, uh, when that day comes and we're able to go to shows old-school style, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be an incredible feeling, and I'm sure shows are just going to be fucking on fire. They're going to be electric. There's so many fans that have hit us up, uh, especially younger fans that have hit us up and said like, oh man, when shows come back, I can't wait to see you guys live. I've never been to a metal show or I've never seen you guys live. But now when it comes back, I'm definitely seeing you live. I really hope that happens because it'll be great for touring bands. It'll be a nice bounce back, a little bit of a recovery from all this downtime. Obviously, people will have to be uh, picky with the shows that they choose to go to. Because money is uh, finite, and if all the good bands start touring again, you're going to have to be selective with where your dollars go. That's understandable, but uh, it's really interesting to hear people say, like, oh man, you guys have played my city ten times since I've been aware of you, but I've never been able to make it. Now I'm definitely going to make it when you're back. Like, oh, alright, well, yes, that's cool and a good thing to look forward to, but (laughs) where were you the other 10 times we came through? We all took shows for granted, and uh, that's one thing that you know we we keep learning that lesson when famous musicians or artists or whatever pass away or bands break up. You kick yourself in the ass later if you didn't see that band when you had the chance. So don't let that happen. When shows come back, if there's a band that you really want to see, go see them. Because anything could happen, that might be the last chance you ever get to see them. Um, Speaking of which, the lead singer of Entombed just passed away, LG. He was a super nice guy, really funny and uh, easygoing. And the last time I saw Entombed was at a smaller venue in Denver, and man... The whole time they were playing, I was cracking up laughing because they were so goddamn heavy and so tight. They fucking crushed. It was super killer. And uh, that's just a perfect example. This is the last time I'm ever going to get a chance to see Entombed like that. The, The singer has moved on to the next phase, the next realm. So rest in peace. Um... I don't know if Entombed is going to continue without him. I have no idea. But Entombed is an amazing band, and the last time I saw them was incredible. I had a smile from ear to ear because it was just so good. And when stuff is so good, I start laughing. When I see a metal band and it's just like crushingly heavy, I just start cracking up laughing because I'm so overjoyed. It's not enough for me to just bang my head and stuff. I start cracking up like I just heard an amazing joke. And the same thing happened the last time I saw Aborted. I was grinning ear to ear and cracking up. But uh, entombed. I'll never see them in that fashion again. So heed my advice. And if there's a band playing that you love, go see them. Go see them because you don't know what's going to happen and uh, it could be the last opportunity. So treat it that way. Go see the bands that you love. Go see them play live. They'll appreciate it. You'll have a good time and you won't be kicking yourself in the ass later if something happens, the band breaks up or somebody passes away or whatever. You'll be able to look back and say, oh man, I'm glad I went to that. I remember seeing them. And one song that you guys got to check out, my second musical recommendation for the week, I guess, is Entombed's album, Clandestine. There is a song on there called Chaos Breed. Listen to the song Chaos Breed by Entombed. That's one of my favorite Entombed songs. It's got a really cool part in the middle. That's kind of like the breakdown. Their drummer is really creative, and he writes some really wacky interesting drum parts give that song a listen and you'll hear what i'm talking about there's some really cool little cymbal like grabs cymbal chokes or whatever you want to call them cymbal grabs cymbal chokes cymbal clamps you know where you hit a cymbal and then you catch it with your hand to tighten up the sound and Whatever, you understand what I'm talking about. There's some really cool, interesting use of that technique on the drums in that song and some other really creative drum parts. The vocals are cool. The guitar riffs are cool. The production's cool. Just check that out. The song Chaos Breed by Entombed. Happy listening to that one. Thanks a lot for writing in that email. Well, ladies and gents, that is it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed and if you made it this far, you are a true champion of the universe. Thanks a lot for listening. I really, really appreciate it. Tell your friends about it. Go on to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you want to support, go to riffsordie.com and pick up some merch. Or you can go to patreon.com slash riffsordie and subscribe for bonus content and discounts on the web store and Zoom hangouts and all that kind of good stuff. I appreciate you all. Happy Conformicide Day to everyone. And I will be talking to you again very, very soon. Try to leave the world a little bit nicer than the way you found it. We'll be all right. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.